Hello and welcome to another episode of What Sports. This is your host and producer, Mike Jones, here with you. And back from maternity leave, we have Eddie Big Johnson Cisneros. That's right. Finally popped out the uh, triplets. So now I'm ready to uh, rock and roll, sir. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. Uh, you know what? You You look... You're just glowing, Eddie. I appreciate that. You know, pregnancy uh, it did it did some good things for me. Um, definitely not uh, not my vagina though. It hurt pushing three kids out. So let's uh, it's not a good sight down there. You know, look like a bunch of fireworks went off. Pew pew. You know, but uh, hey, oh, live like and learn, a... right? <laughs> oh. What's that cat's name that played for the Giants? Um, Jason Pierre-Paul had the fireworks go yes. off in his hand. <laughs> yep, <laughs> just like that. All right. Well, a lot has gone on um, since last we have spoke. Uh, last time you and I spoke and did a show together, there wasn't any sports on. There was nothing going on, really. No, there was just the, uh, the tea bag going on. Um, which everybody found that to be, you know, sports worthy. And then the uh, the axe throwing, that was considered to be a sport. But, hey, you know what? People wised up, and uh, now we got actual sports back. And um, it's been pretty nice. You know, even, even local sports has kind of returned, you know. Adult softball, that's always a, a fun time. You know? Are you sure? Are you sure that's a fun time, Eddie? Are hey, you, you sure? know, man, it's it's uh it's healing up pretty good. So, you know, we're uh we're good. We're Gucci now. Um balls taking to a the eyes, big man. ball to the face. Yeah. Balls to the eyes can uh be very traumatic. <laughs> apparently, apparently stitch worthy. Well, as far as major sports go on, three Colorado teams have returned to – well, two have returned to action, and the season finally actually got started for your Colorado Rockies. Um, let, let's talk about this overhaul a little bit and catch, catch, catch me up on what you've been thinking with it. What, what team you feel like starting with? You know what, man? Let's go ahead and uh, – let's do it this way. Let's start with the team that's closer to their season ending. Because of uh, playoffs starting, so let's jump into uh, let's jump into some hockey, man. Jump into some Colorado Avs. Yes, the Colorado Avalanche um, got off to a banging start. Honestly, a uh, couple of do- well, one dominant win over the Stars, four nothing, a shutout by Francis, and then a two one thriller of a victory against the St. Louis Blues. Uh, I don't know if you've listened to uh, any of my previous shows, but I'm talking about that game. Scoring a goal with .01 seconds left to go. I would, I, I'm pretty sure I scared a couple tables because um, I was at work trying to watch this game. And that was, wow. That was wow. Well, I mean, and, and here's the thing too, man, is, you know, even though we haven't been, you know, consistent doing a show together and stuff like that. You know, we still stay in contact, you know, through text. Mm-hmm. And 
that was actually one of the conversations we had was how that goal came in. Um, I probably Phil chimed in a little bit, but I don't, I don't really think he knows hockey. Um, <laughs> but just just to have that opening of what Cadre did, man, at that exact, you know, I'm not going to sure at that exact fucking moment. It was crazy. Yeah. You know what I mean? It it was <laughs> – if if you had to see it on replay <clears throat> without actually seeing it in in real time, you wouldn't – you'd be excited. You'd be kind of, wow, shit, that really happened. But actually seeing it, watching the game, you're like your, – your emotions were that much higher because you know what, what's writing on it. You know what I mean? And you, you – I don't. I literally don't think you can measure it any closer to, you know, not counting as far as time expiring than what happened in that game. Yeah, and dude, it it, it took the referee probably I want to say closer to to ten. Yeah, probably probably closer to ten minutes just to be able to come up with the official decision of, of it standing as a mm. goal. You know what I mean? Because it was that close to time expiring. You know, everybody's looking forward to the the the, the three man, five minute overtime, and then this happens. Kadri becomes you know the fucking hero, and you got ten minutes of this referee going through every single millisecond of that replay <clears throat> to finally come up with the hey yeah it's good we're golden goal nerve-wracking like yeah. Trying it, to watch it, it them look at that because it's like, is it? Is it? Because I'm not sure as a fan watching that. I'm like, I want to say yes, but I can very well see how it could be no. And that's the thing too, man, is is when it came to the replay, you can see the puck where the, the outline, like 90% of it is, is, is past the line. You know, but at the same time, there's that little bit, dude, that, that's hanging right there that you don't know if that's going to come back and, and be like, nope, no goal, whatever. And and to be cadre, man, over there on the bench, you know, waiting like shit. Is the game over? Do I score? We go home, tired? or Am, am I a boss get, right now or do yeah. we have more, more to or, play? Or, or do we got to wait another five minutes? You know what I mean? And it it, it, it was crazy, dude. It was crazy. And, you know, this, the shit's still going on with uh, Comcast and the – Altitude. Yeah, altitude. It it, it kind of sucks, so I have to watch everything on the uh, the Amazon Fire Stick. But uh, I don't know. Dude, just just being able to watch that game and and, and kind of know what's going on, it made for a very satisfying victory because of how close we are with St. Louis to the points. That, I mean, they, that was huge because they were yeah. they were the only team ahead of Colorado as far as one point percentage, which would have been the tiebreaker if it had come down to that, and just points in general. And I, down the stretch of the season, I fully believed the Avalanche were going to catch the St. Louis Blues and get that number one seed in the West. And this was a prove-it chance for them. Yeah. And and that right there, man, just kind of – it allows you to to really appreciate what it's like to have a full Avalanche team back Hundred percent healthy, no injuries, and Spe- go, ahead, go ahead. Oh, speaking of that, because that was one of the biggest things for the Avs um, coming into this, to, coming into the bubble, is being healthy. 
they are they were one of the most injury ridden teams in the entire NHL, and they were still whooping it yeah, <laughs> for good part. You you look at big names, okay? Gabriel Landeskog only played fifty four games. That means he missed sixteen games this season. Miko Ranson only played in forty two. He missed twenty eight games. Like, you're talking about huge cogs in this high-powered offense that the Avs have the potential to put out there, missing a huge chunk of games. And to actually get those pieces back, and really, these, the round robin, as much as seeding, to me, was about getting these Avalanche players on the same plane in rhythm together out there on the ice and that that was something that was kind of the focus for everybody man was was having everybody back injury free are they going to be able to sync up with each other and make for a dynamic team and i mean you look at at the way the rest of the season kind of kind of went down this this avalanche team and and mind you dude we're, we're not going to talk about the las vegas game as of yet but this team is definitely something to be feared. This team is definitely something that can easily go out and win the Stanley Cup. You know, and and granted, dude, I mean, it, it's going to be one of those. It's going to have the little asterisk right next to the name or whatever. But at the end of the day, bro, a championship a is a championship. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, that's all that matters. And. Keeping Francis in as long as we did was the right decision because the man is coming clutch for us. What so, are you talking about? No, no, because uh, oh. Francis was in for against St. Louis, who's against Dallas, right? No, Groob got the Groob pitched the one one goal game against St. Louis, and Francis came That's in right. and with a shutout against the Stars. That's right. I did, Which I did, both okay. great performances. I mean, you only give up one goal against the Stars. That is a great performance. And throughout the regular season, um, both these goaltenders were kind of neck and neck in a lot of ways. Um, Grubauer was the 1A, and I f- feel like a lot of that had to do with how he performed last year in the playoffs. But – Francis was definitely pushing him for ice time, I felt like, during the regular season. Right, and they both had great debuts in the, um, in the bubble here. And then, um, I mean, real quick, 4 nothing against the Dallas Stars, another huge prove-it game for the Avalanche because during the regular season, went 0-4 against those Dallas Stars. Get, get that monkey off your back there. Yeah, and that, that's what we needed, man, is, you know, we needed a 4-0 shutout to prove to them that, hey, we just scored four goals on you for every game we lost to you this season. But, hey, um, best thing, dude, is, is, is getting back to Grubauer. I don't think Grubauer should have been in that, you know, and that, that's what we brought up, too, through our little conversation was having Grubauer in there costing us a game against Vegas. And I, I oh. 100% agree. Because to come off a four nothing shutout against the Dallas Stars, Fran Seuss should have been the starter. 
it, it, it it's kind of one of those unwritten rules in hockey. If your goalie does a shutout, goes out there, is that dominant, you ride him for the next game. Yeah. Especially when you have two days off. It's not like you're worrying about him being overtaxed. You you roll with the dude. Uh, I will say I watch, I was able to watch a little bit of this of the Golden Knights game. That second goal for the for the Knights against the Avalanche, I don't know how you do not call that goaltender interference. When uh, when Grubauer is outside the crease trying to get back into the crease, but there's a Golden Knight player just camping out right there. I don't understand how that play stood, but. Well, here's the thing too, man, is, and, and, and this comes back from, you know, our experience with, with the NOCO Eagles. Um, you, you kind of take a look at what the refs want to pick and choose to call, you know? And, and like I said, man, me and you've seen that plenty of times when it came down to the junior hockey level, because the referees there, man, they're, they're letting a lot of shit slide that they should be calling. And then at the same time, they're calling a lot of shit that they should be letting slide. I think just from my, my, my own personal opinion here is I think these referees are on that, that point where they're, they're picking what needs to be called and they're, they're letting shit slide that should be called. And I think any other, any other, season it would definitely would be called but i think these refs are on such a hey we need to to try to limit the, the amount of time we're out here we need to limit the the interactions whatever the the lesser time we have on the ice the better you know what i mean because it's, it, it it just isn't some of the the avalanche games man if you look uh i'm trying to fucking think if uh if you look back, I believe it was I believe it was Minnesota. And then I think it was let's see here. I wanna say it was Minnesota and the Canucks when they played. Okay. There, there was quite a few um, penalties, and I know there was there there was a boarding penalty that should have been called that wasn't. There was a hooking penalty that should have been called and resulted in a uh, uh, penalty shot, which didn't get called. But the high sticking calls were were. Ridiculous. You know what I mean? It, 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 it's one of those things that were <clears> – <throat> I really think that if it was a different season, calls would be made more versus now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, now, I mean, it, it is what it is. Yeah. Fucking who gives a shit? Let's just fucking let's get back to the abs, turning shit around, taking this, this overtime loss and fucking going out there and beating ass. So the – I've been a France like I like Grubauer, but as far as who has the edge in my book throughout the regular, well, especially later in the regular season, I was a Francouz guy. Um, 
But you look at this game against the Golden Knights, one of those goals was on a play that I think should have been goaltender interference. Another one of the goals, regulation goals, was on a, um, on a penalty shot. Uh, and then, honestly, the, the game-winning goal in overtime, we were, what, 15 seconds away from going to a shootout? Like, he, yeah. it was almost done there. So, it's a four, four goals allowed game for Groob. Didn't necessarily feel like a four goals allowed game for him. That being said, Francis needs to start this series against Arizona. And until he has, you know, has until a four goal allowed game or something like that, you got to ride him. Yeah, until he gets that loss, man, where it's even – let's see here. I want to make sure I, I word this correctly. Even if he comes up with a loss in this series, if it's something where it's it's by one goal in regulation, you still play him. You you still make sure he is your guy. I get, man, Groob has hit has come through clutch first before, but I mean, we 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 got to ride Francis, bro. We have to ride him. He's he's got to be the guy. And I mean, let's see. Let's see. Games one is is tomorrow, which is Wednesday. Yes. And then game two is Friday. Friday at one p.m. Well, uh, noon, I believe, in Colorado. And this this maybe Grubauer gets in for game three because it's the second night of a back to back. There is a back to back during this series, which is kind of odd for playoff hockey. Right. Uh, but it's an odd situation in general that we're playing playoff hockey in August. So there is that back to back. Maybe Groob gets a chance to go out there and redeem himself a little bit on Saturday. Yeah, definitely let, let Francis ride it out. Um, game one and game two. And hopefully we can cap that two nothing lead. Let Groob take game three, get that, that third win and then let, uh, if if we have a 3-0 lead going into game four, I'd probably I'd probably let Grubauer finish it out. Which honestly we should. I mean, Arizona is a team that was not going to be making the playoffs if we didn't have this, you know, special circumstance bubble that we're doing. They're not that good of a team. They're certainly not on the level of the Colorado Avalanche. And I think outside of maybe the Blues and maybe the Golden Knights, I say maybe and we just lost the Golden Knights, but maybe the Blues, maybe the Golden Knights. There isn't a team in the Western Conference that should be able to push the Avs to a game six or game seven. This first round series, Arizona, it should be be four. Five tops, and that I think given given one game is is really kind of you know putting your hopes into the wishing well. I I I, I don't think it's gonna happen. I think it will be a, a quick four and zero series wrap up for the Avs because there's also no home ice advantage. So it's not like for game uh, three we'll be going down to Arizona. 
and maybe them being able to feed off the energy and steal one there. there right. There's no home ice advantage. So the Avs should win, should sweep this series. Like at five games, absolute max. If this, if this series gets pushed, pushed to six or seven, I would be extremely shocked. Extremely right. shocked. And point, man, then we really need to look at what's, what's going on more eternally because then it, it, it comes down to not just a goaltending, but some of our top guys may be having injuries that we're not aware of or, or whatnot to not mm-hmm. be able to wrap it up in four. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. Um, so sticking out west real quick, the Stars uh, end up with the fourth seed in the west. They'll be hosting the Calgary Flames. Uh, would not surprise me, honestly, if Calgary upsets that series. I'm not hugely bought into the Dallas Stars. And it's, then it, it's a possibility, man. It, it, it's a huge possibility because Calgary comes with Calgary comes Johnny it, Hockey. It, yeah, it, it it it's different. It's a different game with them, man. You know, it, it's something that you know Dallas could easily get upset in four games. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we all we all know what happened last season with Avs and, and Calgary. You know what I mean? Beat down. But uh, yeah, I I'd, I'd, I'd say I, I could see that that series going six, seven games. That it, they could be a good series. Um, then Blackhawks are taking on the Golden Knights. Blackhawks, the twelfth seed in the West, another team that had no shot of making the playoffs realistically if we did not have this expanded playoff format and yet they have the star power that they were able to catch fire for a few games and win their series and you know earn a series against the golden knights Ooh, and i I mean with with that dude (laughs) i i'm gonna call right now it'll be four games for for the knights Knights are have kind of surprised me this season in general just because, you know, this was an expansion team last year and they made it to the Stanley Cup Finals. And a lot of the team was built on, uh, since it's an expansion team, contra- like players that weren't being protected by other teams. These, weren't, these aren't supposed to be, you know, high caliber players necessarily or players that were on good contracts necessarily. And to be able to get the one seed in this second year of expansion after making the Stanley Cup Finals, that's just impressive to me. Yeah. And it, it's definitely something, man, that you definitely have to watch how how they come out in, in their first series. If it's, if it's anywhere remotely close to how they were last season in the playoffs, then Western Conference Finals against the Asbro is going to be – it's going to be good. Um, another series that could be good is the Blues against the Canucks. Uh, Canucks are a very young team out of, you know, out of British Columbia. But they have some pieces that are – have extreme talent. Uh they, they're obviously they're they were a borderline playoff team. They're not a contender for the cup, 
but they're a team that can be dangerous in spurts. And and I'll agree with that. I, I do believe I do believe that they could make the series interesting. But when it comes down to it, man, I I see St. Louis taking it within five games, maybe six games at tops. I'm gonna say it's gonna be a six game win for the Blues. I, I think I think the Canucks will push it to six, but I don't see a game seven coming. Yeah. Out east, the biggest surprise to me was uh the Bruins. The points leader almost from start to finish, the Boston Bruins, uh get swept in the round robin and end up as the four seed out west or out east. And see that that comes back to man <clears throat> the allotted time that we've had of no sports, everybody kind of getting back to being healthy. You you get teams, man, that were dominant throughout the season against teams that had injuries. Yeah, mm-hmm. man. Once those teams that had the injuries have the time to re- to recoup, make sure the guys are healthy, it, it's a whole different topic. You know what I mean? That and, being said, I, I think the Bruins will will win the series against the Hurricanes uh, five, six games. You know what? I'll, I'll, I'll go with that. I'll, I'll go with five, six games, Jeff. And the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, possibly the favorites to come out of it in the East, especially after the meltdown from the Bruins, uh, will be taking on the Columbus Blue Jackets. And they're actually the first game. That that game will be starting here in just a little over an hour and a half to start the real playoffs. (laughs) I don't know if they're calling this the first round, the second round, but to start this round of the playoffs, I guess. And I don't know. Give, give me your thoughts. Give me your thoughts. I think Tampa Bay sweeps this. I don't. I, I think Tampa Bay is going to give up game three. Yeah. Ooh, when Columbus gets back on their home ice. Yeah. I think that's when it's going to happen. <laughs> the crowd, you know, it, it's going to be beyond what they can handle so Columbus takes game three one of one of the few actually I think it's the only series that actually got pushed to a game five in the opening round um was Columbus and Toronto so they're of the teams they're the most taxed team coming into this playoff series and they're the very first game so a bit of a bad draw there for Columbus uh a Another series, kind of like the um, the the Avalanche, or a couple of these other ones, where maybe it's pushed to game five, but I think that's about it. Yeah, then, I, I'd, I'd say at max, dude, game five. Yeah, yeah. The Islanders will be p- taking on the Washington Capitals. Ovechkin back at it in the playoffs here against a uh, Islanders team that is good. Not great. They're good. Decent. They were, they were a playoff team for most of the season. 
Uh, not a contender, though. No. Oh, <laughs> absolutely not, man. And, you know, I'm going to say it like this because, you know, this is what I believe. Ovechkin is a bitch. <laughs> Plain and simple. Not a fan. Fuck no. I hate that guy, dude. Well, I, I, I think this, this series could go so much that I just – I see his face I want to punch a kitty. That's how bad that I hate this dude. Whew. Fighting words. Yeah. I hate that dude's face. I really fucking do. And then wrapping it up, the Flyers ended up with the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, uh, taking on another 12 seed that made – made this round of the playoffs in the Montreal Canadiens riding Carey Price, a guy who was at least a couple years ago touted as the best goalie in all of hockey. Um, not too many people say that about him anymore. Still really good and clearly good enough for them to win a series in the playoffs uh, considering they don't have much else to go with with Carey Price there in Montreal. But that all comes to an end against the Flyers. Yeah, I uh, I got to there, – there's no hope, dude. <laughs> Canadians ain't, ain't going to win a game. It'll be, it'll be four nothing. Flyers probably sweep that, yeah. Yeah. In my, yeah. So, with the Avalanche getting the two seed in the West, another unique feature of this playoffs, which actually I – I love it since there's no home court advantage or home ice advantage. Uh, I love the feature of reseeding after every round. Because uh, if you don't have a home court, home ice advantage, there's no the, – the only advantage you can give a team for getting a higher seed really is doing the reseeding after every round. So the Avalanche will get the better – of the two teams that advance outside of um, assuming, I guess I should say, assuming Vegas takes care of Chicago, uh, they would take on, in all likelihood, I would assume the Blues will will be the other team, will be the team to take on the next round because the Blues are the three seed. And then, like we both said, I – pretty confident the blues are going to be beating the canucks that's that that should be who we play and i mean i i think if we do play st louis man i i could see that being a seven game series oh yeah um playing the blues playing the knights i think either one assuming we meet up with the knights in the finals in this scenario i think those are both seven game maybe six game series uh, yeah, I'd, I'd be willing to bet, man, seven games for both series. Losing out on that one seed and the possibility of playing either Dallas or Calgary in that second round is going to be taxing. Because <laughs> that's adding two, three games on to this team. Uh, that we don't need. That we don't need. So yeah. that was definitely a big blow, losing that game in overtime. No, I, I definitely agree, man. But uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to watch. Anything else you want to say on the world of the NHL and the Colorado Avalanche? Just go, Avs, go, man. Go, Avs, go. 
So sliding over to the team that we should be having another, we should have had another amazing, you know, June, May time having a game, home game every night in, at the Pepsi Center for either the Avs or the Nuggets. Instead, we have bubble games almost every night for the Avs and the Nuggets in the playoffs. Yeah. The – yeah. But, here, here, here's the thing, man, is um, – how do I say this without pissing a lot of people off? <laughs> Fuck it. I don't care. Um, my, my amount of respect – for Jokic has gone insanely up. Not only because he's, you know, he's fucking phenomenal at basketball, but during the delay time, dude, dude took it upon himself to lose a bunch of weight, oh, which yeah, is, is is really good for him. And he's able to mix it up, you know, with Bobo. He's, he's able to mix it up, you know, with these guys. But to have his name still on the back of his jersey when everybody else is wearing, you know, Black Lives Matter and Love Us and all this other shit, right? Just makes me like him more as a as a person instead of just as a basketball player. You know what I mean? It's, but you know, that's that that's a topic for, you know, another time. That, that's saying, like a whole special edition episode right there. Yeah. It, it's just, I don't know, man. I, I I don't condone allowing certain issues to be brought into sports. You know what I mean? But, hey, it is what it is, man. You know? <laughs> Everybody's talking about being oppressed, but yeah, you're making fucking, you know, Five six million a year. Tell me how impressed you are. You know what I mean? Well, you actually brought up Bull Bull there, um, and how he's played with Jokic during the um, exhibition games. Was really when Bull Bull got the majority of his court time, and he actually looked impressive. I mean, their exhibition games. And he still has a lot to learn about basketball. But he came out there and his fluid shooting motion, his his accuracy beyond the arc, and even his ball handling skills for a guy that is seven foot three is just phenomenal. Uh that that's what that's what amazes me, man. Because you look at anybody that, that has that type of height and the skill set's not gonna be anywhere near comparable. No. You know what I mean? It's 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 crazy. But that's what makes Bobo the man. That what that's what makes him the type of player we need to help elevate the nuggets. You know what I mean? Yes, and when they drafted him uh, back in the days of our old show, the EMP show, uh, the prospect of Bol Bol playing alongside Jokic 
and then having MPJ out there was something I talked about and something I like fantasized about, but it was, it was just that it, it was a fantasy. And then to actually see that happen on the court and it looked good. That, Oh my God, that was amazing. That was so, having your, your, your wet dreams about the prom queen and realizing you're never going to ever see the boobies. And then there you are under the bleachers. She chose you of all people and you're fucking motorboating the thing. You know what I mean? It, it's, it's that good because you know, the, the skill set that each one of those guys has what they bring to the table and what they bring to the table when they're together Man, that's that's got to be fucking ten star dining right there. You know, what and I mean? everybody. I, I put a tweet out about this, but everybody's falling in love with this small ball concept. The Houston Rockets are, you know, the prime example of buying into small ball, not having anybody on their team that's six foot ten or above, and then to not just you know not just follow the go, follow the trend, but just to go completely opposite of the trend and go tall ball with bowl ball out there. I love that. Cause why be the followers when you can be the trendsetters? You looked two, three, four, five years down the road, teams could be looking at the Denver Nuggets like they looked at the Golden State Warriors when they set the trend of we're gonna chuck up all these threes from way outside. We're going to beat teams because we can shoot the three better than anybody else, one through five. And then everybody's like, oh, they won a championship. Let's try to copy that. Down the road, teams could be looking at the Nuggets in the same way, going like, ooh, they they have all they have three guys out on the court. They're all six foot eleven plus and can shoot the ball. We need to be able to do that to compete. Because I get, whew, I, I can just about guarantee you on this projection, on, on the road they're on right now, especially we haven't even talked about MPJ's debut here and how, he, how well he has played for these games, these seeding games. But you talk about the road they are on, they're winning at least one championship while these guys are together. At least one. And I wouldn't – it should be two or three. No, definitely, man. It, it, it should be it, – it should be that way. We, we should be guaranteed ourselves, hey, we're getting, we're getting these, these championships because we have that caliber of a team. We have that talent. We have that presence of unique players that fall in sync together phenomenal. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, you know, yeah, you know, fuck it. Let, let, let's talk about MPJ right now. Let's talk about it. Talk about that fucking okay. debut. Against Oklahoma City. I, I'm, I'm going to kind of gloss over Miami because it was – it wasn't a great game, but it's also we were without, at the time, what I would have considered three starters. I would not consider it three starters anymore, but without Jamal Murray, without Gary Harrison, without Will Barton. 
and yeah. really the first true live game action because exhibitions are exhibitions. So, yeah, there, there was hurdles to get over there. But then you play OKC, and MPJ has the start and drops 37 points in real NBA action against OKC. OKC is a playoff team. Uh, I mean, they're, they're not an elite playoff team, but they are a playoff team. And they dropped 37 points against them to go along with 12 rebounds. Crazy. But not only that, because we all knew he had that kind of potential. We all knew mm-hmm. that is something he could do. The biggest thing with him was, is, can he do that consistently? So follow that up with a game against the Spurs. Does he follow it up? Yes. He drops 30 points with 15 rebounds against the Spurs. Like, anytime this kid gets 30-plus minutes, he's almost guaranteed a double-double. I mean, maybe not necessarily a 30-point double-double on average, but he's 20-point double-double at least. And, you know, go, go, go continue with that with, with, with the game you're on right now. Go and continue with that. And but you when you're watching this, one of the biggest things about him during the regular season, uh, when I when I was able to watch games, was what he was doing when he didn't have the ball. Uh, because a lot of times watching the games, he just looked kind of lost out there. He didn't know how he fit. He didn't know how to fit himself into the flow of a Jokic-led offense. And you see during those two games in particular. He knows what to do. He, he, something seems to have clicked in him where he knows, okay, if I, drop, if I drive to the basket, even without the ball, and I'm out there with Jokic, he's going to find me because I'm going to be able to get a basket on pretty much anybody in the NBA because I'm six foot 11 and with silky moves and athleticism. I'm going to be able to get a cheap two points if I just if I just cut to the basket without the ball. And right. you and saw that click finally. Yeah. And you and saw I'm, it click that he's six foot ten, six foot eleven. When you're talking about the rebounds, he is crashing the boards finally. Nothing is can be more frustrating than watching a game and you see somebody who has this kind of height, kind of height that you dream about if you had any sort of aspirations of playing professional sports in general, but in particularly professional basketball being six foot 10, six foot 11. And then you don't see them put it to use on the glass. And he finally has started doing that as well. Right. And I mean, like if we continue to look at the games, right. In particular, you know, the game right after San Antonio, they played Portland. Mm Mm-hmm. And MPJ comes through clutch again with, you know, 12 rebounds, two assists, but 27 points, man. The most points out of the entire team for that game. So he's yes. consistent. Like, like you say, he's consistently contributing his points. He's consistently contributing those rebounds. He is playing big guy basketball. And that is what Denver has missed. I mean, you, you can look at, you know, a former – Denver, no, you're Carmelo Anthony, 
who played, what was it, like 30, 33 minutes and only got seven points. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? But you look at the account of MPJ, and he is making sure that he is taking advantage and contributing every minute he gets on the court. And it's not just taking shots. It's efficiency at taking shots. You look against OKC, okay? He scored on 12 of 16 shots. He only took 16 shots to get to 37 points. Four of six from beyond the arc. Against San Antonio, okay? 11 of 19, five of nine from beyond the arc. Against Portland. Portland was a loss, but that doesn't overly matter on his 27 points four of seven from beyond the arc 10 of 18 overall like he's not just out there chucking up shots because he can he can yeah he's out there making buckets and he's out there fitting within what denver likes to do offensively which is because you see it with uh some other teams you saw it um you see it with Philadelphia with Simmons and Embiid uh, to an extent, especially earlier on, you saw it in Houston with uh, Westbrook and Harden. Sometimes you put two superstar talents together and it just doesn't work. Uh, Houston has figured it out with them, but in particularly in Philadelphia, Simmons and Embiid are touted as these superstar talents. Them together is not working for them. Right. You look at Denver. Denver is Jokic's team. Like, if Porter ever becomes better than Jokic, that means we have two top five players on this team, and that is ridiculous. This is Jokic's team. Pretty pretty much guaranteed, no matter how good Porter ends up being, this is Jokic's team. The offense runs through Jokic. So for him to realize that, and to figure out how he can best maximize his value on this team and his productivity on this team, playing alongside Jokic, is huge. Huge. And that is something that can take Denver from being a Tier 2 championship contender out West, behind the LA teams, to being on the LA level to being to it being just a competition between a battle of LA to being really a three horse race out West. No, no, I, I definitely agree, man. It's like I said, it is that, that push in change, the push in the dynamics on the team to really allow ourselves to determine what kind of team we are. And the direction this team is going is really going to allow us to be and 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 I say it's because you know I, I respect all LA teams. I I, I I do. But it's going to to be the point, man, where once LeBron James fucking retires and does whatever the fuck he does, right? There's nobody on LA on, on, on the Lakers that is going to be able to step up and become what LeBron was. 
You know what I mean? So it's it's going to be a Western Conference that's dominated by Denver. Plain and simple. Because the the Clippers, the fucking Trailblazers, the fucking Jazz, Spurs, nobody's going to be able to hang with the Nuggets next season or after. MPJ has been on fire, and Jokic has been playing great basketball as well. Uh, Triple-double against OKC, a 20-point double-double against the Spurs. Um, Really, he didn't need to do much more than that because we were in control of that game against the Spurs. Uh, Against Portland, you know, another 20 points. Utah was... A double overtime game. That was that game was um, closer than I felt like it should be. If I'm going to be honest with you, uh, for much for the majority of the game, Denver was winning. I mean, Denver was in control for most of this game, but they could not finish it. Right. Uh, outside of that first quarter, Denver really took control. But they could not finish it off until the double overtime. And in this game, uh, Jokic dropped another 30 points in, in 41 minutes. So a, not even a ridiculous amount of minutes when you're talking about a double overtime game. 41 minutes is not huge minutes uh, when there's an extra 10 minutes of basketball being played. Right. That Jokic was most likely on the court for the entire time. Uh, MPJ played 45 minutes in this, which is another interesting thing to talk about. How many minutes MPJ has played in this short amount of time after not really playing much of any minutes the last two years? So, and it doesn't appear to really be wearing on him. That, that, that would be something, because obviously the reason MPJ dropped to Denver where he did was because of injury concerns. Mm-hmm. So playing all these minutes and for him to not really look like he's – there's not some lingering hammy or anything like that that's, that's like, oh, ooh, cause for concern. That's, that's also very encouraging. It, it definitely is, man. And it, it just goes to show the the type of caliber player he is. Most players, you know, with that long of a layoff because of injuries, they're not going to come back anywhere near remotely close to what they were. But you look at MPJ, he's coming back at the same level he was, but better. Mm-hmm. Um, talking a little bit about the guard play, because that's really what was lacking for the Nuggets because the three guys who've been missing that were starters uh, were all guards. Jamal Murray has finally returned. Uh, he returned for the Utah game, so he's played two games now. Monte Morris, though, in his stead after, again, the Miami game was kind of a figure-yourself-out type of game. But after that game, Monte Morris went four games straight without a turnover playing 
being the starting point guard for three of those games and then playing, what, 25 minutes was it against uh, against Utah? Where is he? Uh, 28 Whoa, minutes against 20, Utah. Yeah. So really borderline starter-type minutes against Utah. Four straight games without a turnover. That is – that's like elite backup right there, Monte Morris. But Jamal Murray returns to the starting lineup where he should be and plays 39 minutes in his debut inside the, inside the bubble here. 39 minutes in a double overtime game, and he sets a career high in rebounds. Like, he's not – I would have never thought he was going to ease himself in because that's just not the type of player that Jamal Murray is. But in your first game action – to get 12 rebounds, putting your body on the line like that when you're returning from an injury is just, like, awe-inspiring. And that's what you want to see from the guy who's really kind of the emotional leader on the court for this team. Because you don't get that from Jokic. He's not the rah-rah guy. He's not the chest-pumping type of dude most of the game. He he has a couple – outburst once in a while but he's really kind of that even kill type of player jamal murray is that fiery dude out there on the court for the Denver nuggets no no definitely dude and and like you said you you hardly if ever see a starter coming back and really going hard in the paint you know what i mean Mm mm-hmm but that that wasn't the case with with Jamal, dude. I mean, to get rebounds, you got to get in there. You got to get dirty. You got to get physical. And like 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 it's been said, nobody would expect that from Jamal Murray coming back from you know what, what was it? Three games he missed. Four games. Four games. Four games. So missed out four games because of injury. You'd kind of expect the you expect the, the scoring to be there for him. You expect the minutes to be not as – I mean, he played 39 minutes in that fucking game. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> the, the amount of minutes he played coming back and the rebounds is what really kind of sets him to be that guy on the Nuggets because he's, he's not out there just to fucking sign autographs, fucking look pretty. He's out there to fucking play. And that's what he did in his first game back against Utah. And that, I believe, is what kind of makes him that go-to guy on the Nuggets. That's what, that's what the, 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 the MPJs see, and that's what they want. That's what they, they want to mimic because that they know – Maximal effort. Yes, because they know when it's time when, – when shit counts, it's time to fucking buckle down. That's what Jamal Murray does. That's what he's he, he's guaranteed to do, and that's what they emulate. That, that's what they want to be like. So MPJ led the team in plus-minus. Jamal Murray, to go along with his 23 points uh, and career-high 12 rebounds, which was actually also a team high in this game. He led the team in rebounds, and he led the team in assists with eight. Two assists short of a triple-double for Jamal Murray. And his first game back. In his first game back. Uh, 
So we win that game double overtime against the Jazz. And then last night play the Los Angeles Lakers. And um, only one player went over 25 minutes. That was P.J. Dozier. All the starters were at 25 and below. Uh, This is not a game that uh, Michael Malone put out maximal effort as far as trying to win this game. The starters did not play in the fourth quarter. And yet uh, in the fourth quarter, we only got outscored by three points. Our, Our bench unit hung with the Lakers starting unit put up 33 points on the Lakers starting unit. Now, if that doesn't prove to you what kind of talent we have on the Nuggets, then nothing will. Because to have your have your starters pulled for the fourth quarter, to have your bench guys come out on the court, drop 33 points on the LA Lakers, on, on their top fucking guys, on fucking number one, in the Western Conference and barely lose by three points. And it's not even actual playoff time. You know what I mean? Which almost makes me want to get the four seed instead of the three seed. So we slot against the Lakers in the second round as opposed to – I always thought, like, all season I've been saying the Clippers were the better team out of L.A., in my opinion. And then after this game – I'm even – that just kind of solidified that in my mind. Like, the depth is just not there for the Lakers. The the chemistry just isn't there uh, for the Lakers right now. Uh, yeah. And, I mean, if you look, dude, just just to kind of kind of throw some numbers out there, I mean, MPJ, who has been on fire, you know, barely gets, you know, four rebounds. He, he gets his 15 points, plays 24 minutes. Fills out. And didn't rebounds. miss a single basket. Six yeah. for six. Three for three from beyond the arc. And you you look, man, you look at, at the, the, the team leader last night in points because it, it what? It was one, two, three, four, five, six. It was a seven-way tie for, you know, leader in rebounds last night. You know, um, fucking uh, Paul Millsap. MPJ, uh, Murray, Bull Bull actually led the team in rebounds, it looks like. Oh, well, you, okay, I did not see that. Yeah, there you go, Bobo. Five rebounds, eight points, you know. There you go, P.J. Dozier with 18 points to lead everybody. You know what I mean? It, it's it's not even a regular game for the Nuggets. And, and the leader in assists you know I mean? was Mason Plumley. Like, you're talking about three bench dudes were the leaders in the main three offensive stats or the main three stats yeah. in general. Points, rebounds, and assists were all bench dudes. And as far as Bulbul and then P.J. Dozier go, dudes that probably aren't going to see PT come the playoffs. Bulbul might get – Bulbul and P.J. might get some situational time, but they're not going to be consistent rotation dudes. Right. And, that, and they like, led the team in rebounds and points. Like I said, Matt, this this should go to show what what, what talent we have on the Nuggets. I want to ask you a question real quick because all season it was pretty clear Jokic is the number one on this team. 
and Jamal Murray was number two. He was the Robin to – well, okay. He was the Harley to Jokic's Joker, if, if you want to go with that, uh, that, that analogy there. Has MPJ overtaken Jamal as far as the number two on this team? Not yet. I, I I would agree with you. I think MPJ, as long as he's healthy, is a starter on this team now. Uh, and that not just for these playoffs. I'm talking about next season. Uh, that's why either Barton or Harris, I would lean towards Barton, is out of a starting job because of this outburst from MPJ. And if he stays – anywhere close to what he's been doing, MPJ is the second best player on this team next season. It, I don't want to jump the gun and say yes. Okay. That's what I'm saying right now. No. He's, he's got, he's got some proving to do. Okay. That's why look, I say look, next season. Look at all the games that Jamal Murray has solidified his his place okay he he has definitely came through with the three points with with the regular two when time has been clutch and and right now man number one number two is is, is Jokic and Murray He's playing some mm-hmm. MPJ can can be the number two guy he has the potential to be the number one guy, right? But if he if he becomes the number one guy on the team with Jokic, you're talking about a dynasty. Yeah, plain and simple. And it's it's one of those things, man, where he's he's still fucking brand new. You know what I mean? He, he's still brand new. He's he's doing good shit. Let's see how he does in the playoffs. Let's see if he can live up to how good Jamal Murray is and how good Jokic is. Let's see if if, if MPJ can do it, dude. The next season, next season should be his his breakout year to solidify not only number two but number one on the team. The the Denver Nuggets. Still, regardless of what MPJ does, they need Jamal Murray. Um, if for no other reason, just that mindset, that that bulldog, that fighter's mentality that I feel like nobody else on this team brings quite like Jamal Murray does. So it is great to have him back. And you, if you talk about a big three on your team of Jokic, MPJ, and Jamal Murray – that is nice. That is that's that's nice. You talk about next season. Uh, just looking ahead a little bit. You talk about next season putting Bull Bowl potentially in there. I, I I don't think he'll start at the beginning of the season. I think it'll be a lot like MPJ how he was treated this season for Bull Bowl next season. But you talk about Bull Bowl getting put into that. 
And if Bobo progresses anywhere like MPJ has progressed, you're talking about a team where Jamal Murray is now the fourth best player on the Denver Nuggets. Jamal Murray, the fourth best player. That is ridiculous. That's, you know, that that comes down to <clears throat> that, that comes down to these guys having to prove themselves. That comes down to these guys buckling down and showing exactly what they have. And it's it's not far fetched, man, to to think of these guys as the Jordan, Pippen, Rodman era mm. type of team. You know what I mean? It when it's kind of funny because in that scenario, Rod, Murray, the smallest dude, is the Rodman of that group. Yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> he just <laughs> yeah. It's 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 like that, man. But like I said, it it's going to determine how everything looks next season, the way MPJ finishes out with the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Because right now, man, it it it's it's easy to talk about how good. It's easy for all that. But it it's going to be based off of what they do now, what they can accomplish in this playoff run. If they can accomplish, you know, and, and again, this goes back to the Stanley Cup. It, I don't give a shit if it has an asterisk next to oh, the no. name. A championship is a championship. 100%. If, if Denver, if Murray, Jokic, MPJ, if they can all continue to stay in sync and continue to do what they've been doing, this championship is theirs to win. They win the championship next season. They will legit be unfucking stoppable. So I tip my hand a little bit. Um, let me ask you first. I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this. Is MPJ the starter at the three for the Denver Nuggets throughout the playoffs, assuming he's healthy and assuming that both Barton and Gary Harris are returned to the lineup. Which really comes down to, are you starting MPJ over Barton? Cause he's the only Gary Harris doesn't play the three. Yeah. I mean, we, we have to look at what, Barton has, has done for us in the past. We have to look at what MPJ has done for us currently. But I'm going to go with MPJ. That, that is the correct answer. Uh, but that leads me to the bigger question is if Barton and Harris return – Let's say they return for the Toronto game, get one game to really get their feet wet and get kind of some sort of rhythm back. Who is starting at shooting guard for the Denver Nuggets in the playoffs? Because you, Jamal Murray, MPJ, Jokic, those, those guys are hard and fast. Uh, Millsap, 
in all likelihood is going to remain the power forward. Jeremy Grant maybe replaces that, but in all likelihood, that is Millsap's job with his experience. Who is that shooting guard, though? I know where I lean. Where? Where's that? Gary Harris. For defensive purposes, almost exclusively. Uh, Because you don't need more offense on that starting unit. What you need is defense. And that's, again, why I think Millsap gets to start on – gets to start over a Jeremy Grant at Power Forward and will continue to is because of defense. Barton can bring that offensive spark that he has the potential to do on that second unit where he can be possibly the primary option offensively. If you're going for a, if you did a full swap starting unit, second unit, Barton could possibly be the number one scoring option. You put him on that starting unit, he is the he should be the fourth scoring option. And I'm not sure if Barton would play like he's the fourth scoring option. And then Gary Harris is more than comfortable, especially after the season he's had, playing as the fourth scoring option. And he brings borderline elite perimeter defense. I think you're right. Um, Definitely would go with – I definitely go with Harris. Because you are right, man. We we do need to have that defense. And that's that's what he brings, just like Paul Millsap. So, yeah, I'd go with Harris. It's it's interesting. You you talk about the playoffs and whatnot, and you talk about – Paul Millsap, Gary Harris in particular, it's almost inconsequential what they bring offensively because their jobs, their primary and secondary job is defense. Like, especially with how MPJ has performed, what you need is defense. And what Gary Harris and Paul Millsap would be on the floor to provide is defense. Now, uh, yeah, I see you thinking. I see you thinking. Yeah, I'm. I'm thinking. Let's. Uh, I'll, I'll. I'll touch on this next week. Let Let's see how. Let's see how things roll the next game. That second unit, though. Monte Morris, he's going to be a primary reserve. Mason Plumlee is going to be a primary reserve. Jeremy Grant is going to be a primary reserve. And then probably Barton, assuming he's healthy, is going to be a primary reserve. You're talking about guys like uh, P.J. Dozier and Torrey Craig then not having consistent spots in this rotation. And for that reason is partially why I say Bobol is probably not going to see much, if any, minutes come the playoffs, which is really yeah, kind of disappointing. But I mean, we it's realistic. We don't know. I mean, we we really don't know what coach has got in his head. Maybe we maybe we might see Bobo get you know some fourth quarter minutes. Maybe 
maybe we might see him get fucking some first quarter minutes. We don't know. We gotta we gotta see what goes on. In the bubble, there has been no hotter team than the Phoenix Suns. It's been kind of crazy seeing them and how they have they're the only undefeated team in bubble play. And they've come from being squarely on the outside looking in to being within a half game of that play-in game between the eights and the nine seed. That's kind of ridiculous. I mean, this, this goes to show, man, what time off will, will do for a team. As far as seeding goes for the Denver Nuggets, so they are a game and a half back of the Clippers, which means the Nuggets would have to win their last two games and the Clippers lose their last two games for the two seed. I'm not super worried about that because there's no home court advantage. Two seed, three seed, doesn't matter. In all likelihood, the Nuggets and Clippers would meet up in the second round. What's more interesting to me, though, is that three seed, four seed. Nuggets are currently one game ahead of the Houston Rockets. Denver, Denver needs to beat the Clippers tomorrow. They need to beat the Raptors, and we need Houston to lose one game. If Denver stays the three seed, it's looking like the Utah Jazz would be their first matchup. If they were to drop to the four seed, though, it looks like it'd be OKC, as it stands right now. Now, OKC and the Jazz are within a half game of each other, so those guys could flip as well. But I would much rather play OKC. I would much rather play Steven Adams and Chris Paul than play Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. I, I would agree with that. I would, I, would definitely, <laughs> I would definitely like that to happen more with OKC because <clears> – <throat> I mean, if we're going to call, call a spade a spade, we're, we're going to be able to beat OKC a lot easier and not be so taxing on us as it would be against Utah. It's kind of funny because Steven Adams and Rudy Gobert are both kind of old school type of centers as far as they play very physical games. They're – they're very much an inside-out type of center as opposed to a Jokic a lot of times can play as like an outside-in offensively. Yeah. And yet Jokic owns Steven Adams when they match up. And Rudy Gobert seems to always have Jokic's number when we match up with the Jazz. And it's just kind of interesting how that plays out. I mean, if we end up playing OKC, that means, you know, Houston's going to end up playing – Utah. So I'd much rather see that matchup. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So um, I do have to break up our love fest here, though, Mike. Okay. I do have to get to work. Um, okay. But. Okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, man. Like, it, it's it's going to be interesting to see how, how Denver does these final two games, you know, because we, we – <sighs> We do need to beat the Clippers just to kind of keep in, in, in that race for that second seed. But again, with no home court, like actual home court advantage, I, I wouldn't be angry if we didn't win that game. You know what I mean? 
Give me two words for your first impression of the Rockies season. Fucking phenomenal. All right. Well, this was the What Sports Podcast. Your host, Mike Jones, here with you. The co-host, Eddie Big Johnson Snarls. Yeah, you can give uh, me a follow on Instagram, on Twitter, at AK Coach Jones. What, what, what's your handle, Eddie? That's a good question. I have no idea. All right. His handle is I have no idea. You can go give him a follow as well. And yeah, yeah. We, will, we will be back next week to uh, hopefully talk about an Avs victory in the series and talk about the Nuggets playoff matchup. But that's it for now. Stay classy, y'all. Peace, peace.